0: Morning. Wicked Wanderers is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Wanderers, and welcome to Wicked Wanderers Podcast. I am your Wicked Hostess, Jacqueline, and you may be wondering what this podcast is all about. Each week, we will travel to a different destination, and I will discuss a haunted place, some dark tourism, as well as some fun and unique things to do while we are there so pack your bags we're going to mississippi welcome to the home of the blues during the summer mississippi is very hot one of the hottest southern states always have some water before we get to our first destination here are some fun facts and strange laws in mississippi root beer was invented in mississippi Elvis was born in Tupelo. The first bottling of Coca-Cola began in 1894 in Vicksburg. Mississippi is home to the world's only cactus plantation. If you interrupt a church service, you can be arrested by any citizen. Before any man gets married, he has to prove that he is manly. By hunting and killing either six blackbirds or three crows. Don't kill the animals, guys. You can have one child out of wedlock, but if you have two, you can serve up to a month in jail. It's illegal to live with your significant other if you are not married. In temperance, it's illegal to walk your dog without a diaper on. The fuck's that all about? It's illegal to teach others what polygamy is. Cattle rustling is punishable by hanging. Drug stores cannot sell poison to children. Do you want a flamethrower? Go right ahead. It's legal. It's legal to drink while driving a vehicle as long as you're under the legal limit of 0.08. There's no laws against cannibalism. You can drive a tank in Mississippi and crack a beer in it while you're at it you cannot wear shoes when driving your tank you can walk around drinking alcoholic beverages mississippi was named after the river the first successful lung and heart transplant occurred in mississippi pine saw was invented in mississippi well let's jump into our tank Crack open a nice cold one. Don't forget to take your shoes off. Let's get to our first destination in Vicksburg. This town is filled with history and historic buildings with modern activities and stores. We're going to make our way over to 2200 Oak Street. We're just going to park our tank right here. Don't worry, you can still drink your beer. We're just going to check into the Cedar Grove Mansion Inn. This place is absolutely stunning. You will be walking into the definition of southern charm. It's known to be the crown of Vicksburg. Construction for the mansion started in 1840, commissioned by the owner John Klein, a wealthy entrepreneur. This exquisite three story Greek revival mansion was gifted to his new bride, Elizabeth. Side note, John was 30. Elizabeth was only 16. Oh, the times. So creepy. The newlyweds traveled to Europe for two years to get furnishings for their new home. And what wasn't bought from Europe, was made by special order from Prudence Mallard, a local artist in New Orleans. Talk about luxury. Bohemian glass above the doors, Italian marble fireplaces, and elegant Persian window decorative crown molding are all original items picked out by John and Elizabeth. After selecting all the finishing touches in 1852, the mansion was finally ready. The Kleins would have ten children, but only six would make it. Two died from childhood diseases, one died from yellow fever, and the other, Willie T. Sherman Klein, died at the age of 17 from a hunting accident. This isn't too bad for the times with no antibiotics or vaccines. It was very typical to lose children. They would be buried on the property, but the graves were moved to Cedar Hill Cemetery in 1919. Around this time, a south and north wing would be added to the mansion, and then the Civil War came. Against popular opinion, There are no records of John being a Confederate soldier. He could have possibly still fought for them. During the siege of Vicksburg, there was an attack on the city. The house did make it through the attack, but was hit with a cannon that went into the parlor. The cannonball remains to this day in the mansion. The house was likely spared due to Elizabeth. Elizabeth was from Ohio and her cousin was no other than General Sherman. During this time, Union Generals Grant and Sherman squeezed the city of its resources and supplies. Citizens in the city starved, butcher shops began selling rat. Due to this, there would be disease and sickness. Homes were destroyed by the 200 Union guns constantly blasting the city. Civilians would dig caves into the hillsides. Elizabeth pleaded with her cousin Sherman to save Cedar Grove. The mansion would be used as a field, hospital, and a morgue. Elizabeth was heavily pregnant at the time, and Sherman sent her to New Orleans for safety. She gave birth to a son, and named him Willie Sherman Klein, in his honor. Of course, the people of the town were not keen of Elizabeth. A quote from Elizabeth said, My neighbors were hostile towards me and my son. They told me he would be cursed. I was proud to prove them wrong, as he grew into a young man who was intelligent, bright, and handsome. She would have to win the town over, which she eventually did. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be married to a Southern man who may have been a Confederate soldier. The family fortune was kept in a compartment safe that was concealed in plain sight, in a piece of furniture that John Alexander had specially made. The Union Army never suspected there was any money there. This piece of furniture still sits in the same place in the dining room. So when the war ended, they weren't really affected by the tax burden. And John would build four other mansions for his children in the neighborhood. The Corners for Susan, the Bellevue for George, the Flowery for John Jr., and the Annabelle for Madison. Three of these mansions still exist. To this day, and this area now creates the historic Garden District. John passed away in eighteen eighty-four, followed by Elizabeth in nineteen o nine. She died in the home. The house was kept in the family until nineteen nineteen. The Tonners then lived in the house for seventeen years, followed by the Podesta's, who were married into the Klein family for another fourteen years. In 1960, Vicksburg Theater Guild saves the mansion from demolition. They added a restaurant to the house but experienced a fire in the restaurant section. In 1976, the house was added to the National Register of Historic Places. In 1983, Estelle and Ted Mackey bought Cedar Grove Mansion. It was a fixer upper. Eventually, they would restore the mansion and put things back the way they were. They expanded the mansion for a bed and breakfast. They added a pool house, carriage house, cottages, and a church. They made a killing and hosted many weddings, earning $1.7 million annually in revenue. This would be sold again in 2003 to Phyllis Small's GPS Investments and would eventually be given to an unknown charity in 2018. That doesn't sound shady. 2022, when it was purchased by Charlie Caldwell, Dr. Stephen Reed, and his wife Kendra. After many renovations, it opened up as an inn. A home this old, of course, is haunted. The spirit of John Klein resides in the house, He keeps a fatherly eye on the staff, owners, and the guests. He's very active in his favorite spot, the parlor room. When someone enters or goes near the gentleman's parlor, if John doesn't like you, you will smell his pipe tobacco. Elizabeth has also been seen throughout the house, carrying out her daily chores. That is a shitty afterlife. Doing chores? No, I'm good. The apparition of a young girl descending the staircase and footsteps on the back porch stairs have also been reported. Maybe this is one of the young girls that had died. The children make the most appearances. They are seen playing together. Giggling and crying have been heard by the staff. Beds after being made will look like somebody is laying in it. Guests will hear buzzing sounds and see soldiers roaming the ground, most likely the spirits of all the men who died, talking, moaning, loud noises on the iron steps, glasses flying off the shelf, have also been experienced. A direct quote from one of the staff members of the inn states the following, I heard a glass break in the bar area. Naturally, I wanted to go check it out. On the way, I heard a couple more break, one at a time. I assumed that the bartender had accidentally dropped them. As I walk in there, I notice the bartender standing far away from the bar and the last glass sliding off the shelf on its own. In another quote from a bartender who worked at the inn, states the following There are several buildings on the premises that house all thirty-three rooms, one building close to the main house by the pool, sits near a parking area. There are two rooms in this building Last night, the guest in one of those rooms called and complained about the guests in the adjoining room. They were being too loud. it sounded as if they were moving furniture in there, and the TV volume was ridiculous. I had to let them know that there were no other guests in that building nor were there any guests on that side of the house closest to the building another time i was outside and saw a man walking down the hill that's not a big deal but something about where he came from and what he was wearing was just weird so i started watching him to make sure nothing suspicious was going on he continued down the hill for a few seconds more and then he simply disappeared there is nowhere to hide or disappear to. He was just gone. And lastly, a quote from one of the guests: My husband and I were in the Grant room, and I walked to one of the large windows. I stood there looking until I felt a finger run down my spine from my neck to my lower back. I jumped and turned, expecting my husband to be standing there, but he was on the other side of the room. Even with spirits, the Cedar Grove Inn is really a lovely place. Depending on the dates, you can book a room in this mansion for about 189 a night with breakfast included. They have a pool on the property as well. You have a choice of several areas in which you can stay in. The mansion, the Riverview Suites, the carriage house, there's also the pool cabanas. I will post pictures of this elegant mansion on my Instagram at wicked underscore wanderers podcast so you guys can truly see how amazing this place is. While in Vicksburg, make sure you check out some of these amazing places there. Head over to Levy Street. Take a stroll to see Vicksburg's riverfront murals. One of the most unique and fun ways to see art and learn about the history of Vicksburg. Each panel symbolizes an important piece of Vicksburg folklore and history. Murals of the first Coca-Cola bottling in America, Theodore Roosevelt's famous teddy bear hunt, and gold in the hills. Bold colors and beautiful artwork. Do the musical tour of blues mississippi blues trail has several monuments that honor key individuals that played a role in the blues vicksburg has six blues signs the blue room High sixty one marcus bottom the red tops willie dixon if you love the blues these are must-see locations the blues trail is a great way to spend the day in vicksburg and fall in love with the blues eat fresh from the tomato place after all that walking you must be hungry and make sure you go by this truly unique place this tiny cafe is brightly decorated it is a shack that is quaint and quirky a charming overgrown produce stand that leads into a restaurant with some of the best food you will ever have catfish fried green tomatoes, hoboys, burgers, ribs, breakfast, a bakery, southern food at its best, like grandma cooked it. The entire meal is prepared with regional ingredients. This is a popular spot for both locals and tourists. Don't forget to pick up some fruit and vegetables as well. Since our next destination is about two and a half hours away, I'm going to give you some awesome places to stop to while we're on the way there. So let's go on a road trip. And our first stop is the Blue Front Cafe, located at 107 East Railroad Ave in Bentonia, Mississippi. This is a historic old juke joint made of cinder blocks and is also part of the Blues Trail. Opened in 1948 under the ownership of Carrie and Mary Holmes, an African-American couple. The Bluefront is known back in its day for buffalo fish, blues, and moonshine whiskey. Now ran by the famous blues legend, Jimmy Holmes, their son who took over the cafe in 1970. He continues to run this joint. This down-home blues venue that gained international fame among blues enthusiasts. It is the oldest juke joint in the state, possibly the world. Stop by there and listen to some good blues music. You may recognize this place. It was featured in the Black Keys music video for their cover, Crawling King's Snake. Jimmy Holmes is an incredible man who is very sweet. He will tell you the history of blues. And you can get some lessons from him. A review from TripAdvisor from G. Wilson eighty six says a true juke joint, the last on highway forty nine. When we arrived, there was a couple from France, and the young man was taking blues guitar lessons from Jimmy. Jimmy is a delight. We spent three hours talking to him about his family and the Bentonia-style blues. Jimmy even had his brother drive us to his home where they hold the annual blues festival so we could get an idea where to park our camper during the festival. Jimmy even offered to let us spend the week before the fest in our camper on his farm. Our second stop, Yazoo City. With a name like Yazoo, you must stop and check it out. It's small, authentic, unique, and right up my alley. Check out one of its best features, the colorful block of Main Street. The buildings are bright colors. You could spend hours looking at them. It's so cool. I'll post a pic on the Instagram so you can see it. Go for a shopping spree in the colorful downtown. Our third stop is Belzoni. Can't go to Mississippi without seeing the cypress trees and the swamp. So we're going to Sky Lake Wildlife Management Area, one of Mississippi's natural wonders. Located at 1692 Townsend Lake Road in Belzoni, take a magical walk through the ancient forest filled with the largest cypress trees on the planet. Some of the cypress trees are 10,000 years old. You can do the boardwalk or grab a kayak and paddle the trail. A hidden gem in the Mississippi Delta. View the natural habitat of Mississippi. You may also see birds, waterfowl, frogs, turtles, and even alligators. And our last stop is the B.B. King Museum, located at four hundred Second Street, Indonola, Mississippi. The man, the legend of blues. Learn about the life of B.B. King in his hometown. Learn about the Delta, its history, music, race relations, literature, and the legends. See some of B.B. King's items, which include two of his personal automobiles, a Rolls-Royce, and a custom-painted Chevy El Camino. And now, it is time for our final destination. Let's get wicked. We are going to Sumner, Mississippi, where Emmett Till was murdered. You may be wondering who Emmett Till is. Well, to put it in perspective, he's like the Anne Frank of America. Emmett Lewis Till was born on July twenty-fifth, 1941, in Chicago, Illinois. He grew up in a working-class neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Till grew up in a neighborhood... That was an area with Black-owned businesses. Till was best described as a responsible, funny, high-spirited child. At the age of five, Till got polio but made a full recovery that left him with a slight stutter. His mother worked long 12-hour days to provide for Emmett, so he took on the responsibility of taking care of the home to help his mom. He was a good, sweet boy. In August 1955, his uncle Moses came to visit the family from Mississippi. Moses was taking Till's cousin Wheeler Parker back to Mississippi. Till begged his mom to go. She didn't want him to go, but like any child who really wanted something, he would continue to beg until she gave in. His mom, Mammy, warned him about the whites in the South. Till was a jokester typically the center of attention. She told him the whites could react very violently and do not tolerate things like they do in the North. No mom should ever have to say that to her child, but the fact is racism is real in the South and absolutely horrendous. Till did attend a segregated elementary school but he was not prepared for the level of segregation in Mississippi. Till made it to Money, Mississippi, on August 21, 1955. He would stay with his great-uncle Moses Wright, who was a sharecropper, and Emmett would help his uncle harvest cotton. On August 24, Till and some other teens went to a local grocery store after a long day of working, Emmett being A kid bragged about having a white girlfriend, and when his friends didn't believe him, they dared him to talk to the white woman behind the counter in the store, Carolyn Bryant. It is said he went inside, bought some bubblegum, and when leaving, supposedly said, Hey, baby, but what really happened that day, no one can say. Carolyn Bryant claims that he grabbed her that he made lewd advances and wolf-whistled at her. I highly doubt this ever happened. Whatever the truth is, Till's cousin, Simon Wright, who was there at the store, said that Till whistled at Bryant, saying that he was joking around. His cousin said that after the whistles, he became immediately alarmed. A quote by Wright from the Chicago Magazine says, Well, it scared us half to death, Wright recalled. You know, you were almost in shock. We couldn't get out of there fast enough because we have never heard of anything like that before. A black boy whistling at a white woman in Mississippi? No, Wright stated. The KKK and the Knight Riders were a part of our daily lives. Everyone promised not to tell Till's great uncle who would have got him out of town right away. When Bryant's husband returned... From a trip a few days later, he caught wind of what Emmett supposedly did to his wife. On August 28th, around 2.30 in the morning, Rob Bryant and his half-brother, J.W. Millman, forced their way into Moses' home and abducted him. A woman's voice was heard saying, that's him. Moses, Till's uncle, did report the incident. The racist Bryant brothers took him away, beat, and mutilated him in a barn behind Millman's home. They made Till get in the back of the truck after being brutally beaten. Millman stopped the truck on the levee. He made Till carry a gin fan to the riverbank, then told him to undress. Bryant tried shooting Till between the eyes, but Till ducked and the bullet caught him above the right ear. Bryant and Millman wired the fan to Till's neck with barbed wire and rolled him down the bank into the river. The two then drove back to money. Bryant got out at his store. Millman drove home. He cleaned the blood from his truck and burned Till's clothes. I have no words for what Till had to go through. How could somebody do something like this? The morning of August 31st, 1955, 17-year-old Robert Hodges was running trot lines in the Tallahatchie River and discovered a pair of knees sticking out of the water. He got the Tallahatchie County Deputy Sheriff Garland Melton, and Till's body was pulled into a boat and carried to land. Till's great-uncle had to identify the body. The corpse was so badly mutilated and decomposed, the body had apparently been beaten severely around the head, and there was a hole the size of a bullet above the right ear. Till's great-uncle could only identify him by a ring. Of course, the sheriff wanted to bury the body quickly and cover up the murder. But halfway digging the hole, Till's mom called and asked for his body to be sent home for burial. Till's body was sent to C.F. Nelson's Funeral Home. September 1st, the body was placed in the finest casket available and put on a train for Chicago. The discovery of the body caused a reaction throughout the state, and almost everyone was against the brothers. When Till's mom saw her poor boy's mutilated, beaten body, she decided to have an open casket so everyone could see what the two racist men did to her son. A demonstration was staged, and crowds estimated at between ten thousand and fifty thousand went to Chicago's funeral home. Tables set up near the casket collected three thousand one hundred dollars. Till's mom postponed the burial until September 6th so the public could see her son. Photographs of Till's mutilated body circulated around the country. It was even in Jet Magazine and the Chicago Defender. One of the Jet photographers showing Mammy over the mutilated body of her dead son is one of the 100 most influential images of all time public could no longer pretend to ignore what happened, and they couldn't pretend to not see. Till was buried on September 6th in Burr Oak Cemetery. Chicago Mayor Richard J. Daley and Illinois Governor William Stratton also became involved urging the governor of Mississippi to see that justice was done. Mississippi newspapers changed dramatically. They falsely reported riots at the funeral home in Chicago and had pics of Bryant and Millman showing them smiling wearing their military uniforms. Rumors of invasion of outraged African Americans and Northern whites were printed in the papers throughout the state, and they were taken seriously by the county sheriff, T.R.M. Howard, one of the wealthiest black people in the state, warned of a second civil war. On September third, a grand jury would indict Bryant and Millman on the murder and kidnapping charges. Of course, Tallahatchie County would go to bat for Millman and Bryant. Jury selection began on September nineteenth. A jury of six white men were selected. Court documents say a prosecution witnesses left no reasonable doubt that Millman and Bryant abducted Till and very little doubt that they had killed him hours later. The most convincing was the testimony of Willie Reed. He witnessed Millman, Bryant, and several other men on Millman's property. He heard licks and hollering from within the barn. Thursday afternoon, the defense presented its first witness, Carolyn Bryant. Carolyn Bryant described the August 24th incident at Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market. Sheriff H.C. Strider took the stand as a witness. Strider claimed, based on his experience, that the body found in the Tallahatchie River must have been there for at least 10 to 15 days. He insisted the corpse was unidentifiable, claiming, All I could tell was it was a human being. H.D. Malone, Till's embalmer, added support to the defense theory by testifying the body was so decomposed it had to have been in the water for at least ten days that it was bloated beyond recognition. It is safe to say that almost no one, not the prosecution witnesses, and not the jurors, didn't really believe that the body pulled from the river was not Emmett Till. The testimony of Strider Malone and a white physician merely provided the jury with reasonable doubt. 68 minutes later, an all-white jury came back with the verdict, not guilty and both murderers were released from custody. This verdict would spike outrage throughout the country. Protest rallies were in several cities. Emmett Till's death had a strong effect on Mississippi civil rights activists. A few months after the murder, Rosa Parks attended a rally for Till led by Martin Luther King Jr. Shortly after, she refused to give up her seat on a segregated bus to a white passenger. Park said she did not get up and move to the rear of the bus. I thought of Emmett Till, and I just couldn't go back. This would spark a year-long boycott of the public bus system. This poor boy's innocent death would change history. The two racist pieces of shit, Millman and Bryant, lives would also change. Millman and Bryant's store's, which served several of the local African-Americans, were boycotted. All the stores were either closed or sold. African-Americans would refuse to work for Millman's farm, and he would turn to bootlegging. Sheriff Strider would also be under attack, and in 1957, Strider escaped an assassination attempt. In 1985, Millman died of cancer. And the crowd cheers. Good. I'm glad he's gone. Bryant would secretly record about Till's death on an audio tape. What a fucking dumbass. In the tape, Bryant says the night of the kidnapping. Yeah, hell, we were all drinking, he claims. After we done whooped that son of a bitch, he briefly backed out on killing the motherfucker and decided instead to... Take him to the hospital. Till's injuries were already too extensive for Till to survive. So instead, they decided to put his ass in the Tallahatchie River. Bryant didn't name anyone else who was involved and indicated that he never would. I'm the only living one who knows. And that's all that will ever be known. Bryant died nine years later of cancer at the age of 63. No one involved in the murder was ever charged to this day. In 2004, the case was reopened. In 2005, the Cook County coroner exhumed Till's body and conducted an autopsy. DNA from Till's relatives' dental comparisons to images taken of Till, the body was positively identified to be him. His body had extensive cranial damage, a broken left femur and two broken wrists metallic fragments found in the skull were consistent of bullets being fired from a 45 caliber gun this is just all around devastating he deserves justice and our system is broken we will be finishing our journey by going to grabble landing sign this is where till's body was pulled from the river Horrible note, several signs of the Civil Right Trail have been shot up around here. They had to install bulletproof markers that is designed to withstand rifle rounds. Why do people do this? To get to the area where Till was found, it is accessible to the public from the Sharkey Road Bridge north of Glendora. Head south on the River Road until you reach the site. The sign is visible from the road. The riverbank is a short walk. You can also visit the Emmett Till Museum located at 158 North Court Street, Sumner, Mississippi. The museum is open to the public Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 5. And this concludes my episode of Wicked Wanderers. If you have been to any of these areas I mentioned, please email me your experience at wickedwandererspodcast at gmail.com or if you have any fun, unique, interesting places or suggestions, please shoot me an email. Pics of all the places I've spoke about will be posted on Instagram at wicked underscore wanderers podcast. Please rate, review, five stars only. This is how other people find my podcast. Links to where I found my information will be posted in the show notes. And as always, wander more and stay wicked.